Hey, video game fans, I'm Ben Bertoli, and this is Memory Card. As much as we know you love to hear Push and I jabber at each other, this season we're trying our best to produce more episodes featuring guest experts. And this is the first one. Joining me today is Kelsey Lewin, co-director of the Video Game History Foundation and co-owner of Pink Gorilla, one of the oldest video game stores in Seattle. How you doing, Kelsey? I'm doing great. I didn't know I was your guest number one here, so I'm honored. <laughs> well, you're guest number one for season three. <laughs> you know, probably the best season that we're going to have. Well, obviously. I mean, we're starting out so strong, so. Yeah, yeah. Usually we just have guests at the end of the season, but this time <laughs> I was like, let's bring them in early. Mix things up a little bit. Well, this is going to be a fun episode because I get to yammer about one of my favorite things to yammer about. All right, well, we will discover what that is right after the music. Shall we begin? Let's do it. We usually start with guests giving us a little bit of a background, a little bit of a bio on themselves and their gaming tastes. So what do we need to know about you, Kelsey? Well, uh, as you said, I'm the co-director of the Video Game History Foundation. I am a researcher and history enthusiast. Um, I do like video games. Uh, <laughs> <I> <laughs> it's play, good to know. Yeah, I, I play a lot of, um, gosh, really random stuff. I hate it when people ask me what my tastes are because I'm like, it's kind of a little bit of everything and also nothing at the same time. You never catch up on your backlog. You never... Uh, feel like you're really playing I don't know I'm sure other people can relate to this maybe maybe you can't but <laughs> <laughs> or you know you, you try new games that you didn't think you were gonna like and then all of a right. sudden it's oh wow this is one of my my favorite games of all time and then is that my gaming taste now <laughs> yeah I guess I would say I play RPGs the most okay but I like a little bit of everything and I really like handheld games so I play a lot of those too okay and there's a handheld system I believe that you're here to tell us about today what would that be? Yeah, today we're going to be talking about the Wonderswan, which is one of my favorite systems. It's certainly my favorite weird system. I mean, a lot of people, they know me for liking the Wonderswan. And so they're like, oh, this must be your favorite system, you know, your Desert Island system. And I'm like, well, I don't know about that, because it does have a pretty small library comparatively, <laughs> but it is absolutely my favorite weird system. Yeah, there's some consoles that you just like to have a deep knowledge of and don't necessarily really want to play that much. I, I do play mine a lot, actually. Oh, okay. <laughs> I do, but that's because the Wonderswan has a lot of really good games for, like, five minutes of play. Uh, lots mm. of puzzle games and that sort of thing. So I actually do play mine more often than you'd think. Okay. Because I have a Neo Geo Pocket Color, and as much as I love it and love to talk about it, I just I feel like I don't actually play it that much. I'm a, I'm a fraud. That's fair. <laughs> <laughs> so... Where did the Wonderswan come from? Like, what is, what's its amazing uh, backstory? What's its origin? To give a little bit of exposition, um, do you know who Gunpei Koi is? Yes, creator of the Game Boy and the Virtual Boy and many other Nintendo things. Yeah, so I like to start with Yokoi's history a little bit because it's very relevant to the Wonderswan. Um, he was an engineer at Nintendo back in the early, early days when they were still just making toys and cards and that sort of thing. Um, and he became one of their actual product designers, um, one of their research and development officers there, because he really had an eye for taking things that were cheap and maybe looked uninteresting and turning them into something that was fun and profitable. 
So that started with his first thing, which was the ultra hand, which is just one of those like, you know, extendable grabby hand type things, which, you know, crazy simple, basically no technology involved in that, um, but went on to be a huge seller for Nintendo back in their toy days. Sort of reached a peak when it got to like the Game and Watch and the Game Boy, where you have this thing that he calls uh, lateral thinking with withered technology. Hmm. And this is his design philosophy that still carries on at Nintendo to this day. So it's very, very impactful there. And what that basically means is taking technology that uh, has already been fully iterated on, fully uh, explored, and is now cheaper to produce, cheaper to develop with, and making something really novel and interesting with it, making just the best version of that older technology. So you know, the Game Boy's great for this because, you know, it was up against things like the Atari Lynx and the Game Gear, which had these beautiful full-color displays and, uh, you know, were technically better in every way, but the Game Boy was super cheap. It had a monochrome display and, you know, it wasn't perfect by any stretch of the imagination. And Tetris. <laughs> yeah, but it was very cheap and the games were good. That's kind of where his philosophy comes from at um, at Nintendo. Get some other really cool old toys that incorporated it. My favorite is the... Uh, there was this uh, RC car called the Lefty RX, and in back in the uh, like 60s and 70s, RC cars were getting really big in Japan, and they were very expensive to produce. So he was like, "I can cut our cost almost in half," and everyone was like, "What? How?" He's like, "Make it only turn left." <laughs> <laughs> it's brilliant. It was like a really, really easy thing to fix. You know, they're normally just going around a track, going in circles, anyways. So. He made it, you know, used this kind of withered technology, this cut to it that was able to make it way cheaper. Mm -hmm. Uh, Gunpei Koi left the company after the Virtual Boy, which, as we all know, is kind of a failure. He did do the Game Boy Pocket before leaving, but basically after the the Virtual Boy. And he started his own company called Koto Laboratories. And Koto was a small electronics manufacturer. They were just kind of making... Yeah, kind of not not quite Tamagotchis, but that sort of vein of electronics, just small little pocket electronics like that. And they were approached by Bandai, uh, who wanted to potentially en- enter the console market. And that was what ended up being the Wonderswan. Unfortunately, Gunpei Akoi passed away in 1997. Um, he was in a very serious traffic accident. Aren't there some like weird rumors about his death? <laughs> there are. There's some really weird conspiracy theories out there. Like that he was involved with the Yakuza or something like that. Yeah, there's there's not none of them hold any water, but uh, they are pretty funny to <laughs> to hear about. Um, well, my favorite one is that like Nintendo was so angry over the Virtual Boy that Yamauchi Hiroshi Yamauchi, the president of Nintendo at the time, ordered him to be killed because they were so embarrassed by the Virtual Boy. I'm like, yes. <laughs> wow, <laughs> it's terrifying if true. Yeah, I know. <laughs> So anyways, he wasn't alive for the Wonderswan to come out, but it was very, very inspired by his sort of lateral thinking with withered technology philosophy. So um, the Wonderswan has a black and white display. This is in 1999. Um, the Game Boy Color came out in 1998. And of course, you know, you had the Game Gear and the Lynx long before that. So this was sort of like a dated technology at the time, but it did have a 16-bit processor. So it could display twice as many tones as the original Game Boy. It also got 40 hours of battery life out of a single AA battery, which is still incredible to me. Because I don't even think my TV remote gets that good of <laughs> battery life. Yeah. <laughs> I don't even know that much about the Wonderswan, but I know that. I know that fact that it was like the ultimate one battery handheld. Yeah, it's incredible. I mean, the, the Game Boy initially kind of had that over its competition as well. And um, the Wonderswan 
brought even the Game Boy to shame in that respect. <laughs> so uh, it cost only 4,800 yen at launch, which is only like the equivalent of about $42. Even if you would adjust that for inflation, that's still like 65 bucks. So super, super cheap hmm. for a handheld. But my favorite thing about it is that for some of the different games, um, you'll actually rotate the Wonder Swan 90 degrees. So some games are played horizontally and some games are played vertically, which is really interesting. And it came in a bunch of really cute colors. Very important. Yeah. Well, these have really great names like Frozen Mint and Soda Blue, Sherbert Melon. They all sound like things you want to eat. I know. It's I was going to say, they sound like delicious Japanese snacks. <laughs> So the Wonder Swan, it, it was doing okay. You know, it, it really launched at kind of a poor time because it was right after the Game Boy Color. So people were really, at that point, they really were kind of done with the black and white thing. They were like, okay, it was fine when the Game Boy did it, but we are now uh, 10 years in the future from when that happened. So come on, <laughs> why are we still looking at a monochrome screen? But they had some really major partnerships that helped them out a lot. Um, the most important of which, well, first of all, I guess there's two. Um, because it was a Bandai console, uh, you know, developed by Koto and Bandai jointly, they had all of these anime and manga licenses. Mm -hmm. So they had things like Gundam and One Piece and Inuyasha and uh, Naruto uh. and just all of these uh, incredible anime licenses that really helped sell the system. But the other big one they had was Square. All right. So <laughs> Square and Nintendo had a big falling out around the Nintendo 64 and PS1 era. Square was kind of on Nintendo's list, and so they didn't really have much of a choice. They kind of had to go with the Wonderswan if they wanted to make some portable games. They couldn't really make Game Boy games at that time. So got a, re a lot of really, really good Square games, um, ports and remakes and that sort of thing. Um, I believe the Final Fantasy games that came out on Wonderswan are like what's been used... Um, for all of the ports that came after that, like the ports for Final Fantasy uh, 1, 2, and uh, 3. Oh, wow. Like, they used those for the PSP versions and stuff and just kind of built on those. So <laughs> a really good third-party developer to have on their side. So they did come out with the Wonderswan Color a little bit later because they were like, okay, you're right, we're kind of, we kind of do need to move on from the monochrome thing. Now we're now in the 2000s. It's <laughs> it's time. <laughs> and that's when it really started kind of coming together. I feel like they had um, the Final Fantasy games were all Wonderswan color games. They had a bunch more anime games, a bunch of Squaresoft games, a bunch of uh, Namco games and Capcom and stuff even. They had some really good third-party support. I mean, there were Mega Man games on the system. There were all these Namco titles like Mr. Driller and Klonoa and that sort of thing. So you got a bunch of like really solid games that happened on this system that, you know, no one outside of Japan has played. And I, I should mention that as part of the history. This is a console that came out only in Japan. There was a little bit of movement in Korea, in South Korea, I think. I don't even know if it was, like, official <laughs> over there. There were a couple <laughs> games that, that came out in Korean, but I don't know if they had, like, much of a... Uh, the Wonder Swan Seal of Quality. Yeah. <laughs> so the the color came out. It had, uh, again, it was better than the Game Boy Color. Could display more colors at a larger screen. It was 6,800 yen versus uh, the Game Boy Color's uh, 8,900 yen. Um, and it started really coming together. It actually captured about 10% of the Japanese handheld market, which is pretty big considering you're up against Nintendo in this era. And then, of course, their last version that they put out was called the Swan Crystal. This is mm. kind of the definitive version of the Wonder Swan. It really, it really just has a better screen, a um, little bit better battery life, a little bit 
you know, a couple other minor tweaks here and there. But The iPhone update version here. Yeah, <laughs> but really it just has a, a nicer screen. Hey listeners, we're putting this episode on pause for a moment to talk about supporting Memory Card via Patreon. If you're hearing this, you're probably not one of our patrons. How do we know? It's because all patrons enjoy ad-free episodes. Other perks include shoutouts, early access to episodes and bonus content, and even the chance to come on the show. If you enjoy Memory Card, we hope you consider pledging even a dollar or two, or three, or four, you know, just, just even a little bit helps. For more information, head to patreon.com slash memcard. And now, back to the show. Where'd I put that controller? I feel like we need to jump back all the way to the inception of the Wonder Swan, because I have to ask, where did the name Wonder Swan come from? You know, I've heard a couple people mention reasons for it, but I haven't seen any, like, actually proven. Like, people say, oh, well, Swan, because it's like the swan song of uh, Good Pay Akoi, mm. which is a very nice thought. I've seen no actual proof of that claim. Um, and then the other one is like, oh, well, it's just, it, it's got these graceful curves and edges and everything, just like a swan. <laughs> Both of those things sound nice and make sense, but I haven't seen any of that come from Bandai or Koto themselves. So um, I would be curious to know. I don't, I don't actually know where the, where the name came from. Those are the two, those are the two things that people say, though. That just makes it even more mysterious, you know, it makes it that much better. Yeah, <laughs> it is a really weird name for a system. You don't have systems called weird things anymore yeah the weirdest system name we've had since then is like the Wii. <laughs> <laughs> i like to imagine that there's a like a, a, a secret higher up group at bandai that is literally just you know a room full of swans <laughs> that are calling all the shots <laughs> it's the swan room over there and they were like you know what we got too cocky with that name people are starting to ask questions so we need to we need to pull back so um, I want to talk about the things that make the Wonder Swan so interesting, though, because it really had um, some really interesting like groups around it and scenes around it that I think were missing from a lot of other more mainstream consoles at the time. It had a really vibrant indie and hobbyist scene, hobbyist programmer scene. Huh. They actually had like a consumer development kit, which was put out by this company called Qute, Q-U-T-E. And it was called the uh, Wonder Witch. And this was something you could just buy from uh, their website. There were even a couple stores in Japan that carried it. And it's a Wonder Swan dev kit that you could just buy as, as a consumer and make your own games. An official one? An official one. Wow. In fact, the one of the high-up people at Qt worked for both Qt and uh, Koto Laboratories simultaneously, which I don't even know how that works. I don't know how you have two jobs like that. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so they, they developed this consumer dev kit, and people could start making their own games. They could even buy their own uh, cartridges. Like you, Okay, so it would come with a cartridge that you could flash games onto and try out on your actual Wonderswan. But then you could also buy like cartridges to just put the game on and sell to people and hand out, which is really interesting. And there's only one or two instances where I know of anyone who did that, like kind of in mass, like more than, you know, just a couple for their friends or whatever. Mm -hmm. If you're someone crazy like me who wants to collect the entire Wonderswan set, that raises some interesting questions on what constitutes a complete <laughs> set. So the Wonder Witch had this really cool scene around it uh, with people making their own games so much that they actually created a yearly competition that ran for three years called the wonder witch grand prix 
It sounds like a Harry Potter competition. I, ha I have to say, it's like the Triwizard Tournament. Right, yeah, it, it totally does. <laughs> the Wonder Witch, yeah, it totally does. That would absolutely fit in the Harry Potter universe. So yeah, what this was, was a like an indie game or indie programming competition for the Wonderswan. And people would submit their game or their program. Um, it would be judged by a, a panel of judges. And there was kind of like an exhibition where you could go and play everyone's games and stuff. And the winners would actually get their games published, like wow, through Bandai with the, you know, they'd have their own UPC and everything and be stocked on the shelves and everything. That's huge. Yeah, yeah. So two of the rarest games for the system, as you can probably imagine, were <laughs> the winners of this competition, uh, Dicing Knight and Judgment Silver Sword, which are both fantastic games that I can't afford. Oh, no. But what was really cool, this, some of the stuff that came out of the Wonder Witch Grand Prix um, they had some really cool stuff that was separate from games because it was also for Wonder Witch programs. So there were people who were making like their Wonderswan's interface with a GPS unit. There was someone who made an NES emulator on the Wonderswan. Hmm. Like all kinds of really interesting things that are just kind of, you know, they're so niche because you need this consumer dev kit in order to even possibly <laughs> be able to interface with this stuff. So it's it's very kind of far removed, especially to an American audience. But people were making games for this thing, and they were sharing them and um, uploading them online, and then you could download them. And if you had the Wonder Witch program, you could, you know, put it straight onto your Wonder Swan, um, which is really, really cool. And, you know, not something we really have a whole lot of these days. Do you have one of the dev kits? I do. I have a Wonder Witch. I need a computer that runs, like, Windows XP or Windows 2000 to run any of that stuff and mm. you know need to have a serial port and that sort of thing but <laughs> it's a little bit of setup these days but I've, but I've played around with it I actually a friend of mine even programmed a game for me uh, <laughs> with it because it's just all written in C so you can just program games for it still which is pretty cool is it a game about a pink gorilla uh it's a game about my dog actually oh, it's okay. called Grummy Catch and uh <laughs> It's very simple. It's just my dog moving around the screen as balls fall from the sky and you collect the balls. Nice. Some someday I'll release Grummy Catch to the public. It'll be a really big The actual, yeah, the the real rarest game in the Wonder Swan library. <laughs> I'll I'll get some of those cartridges, I'll flash them and we can uh I'll start selling Grummy Catch to the public. Kickstarter. Let's get it going. Yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, so the Wonder Witch Grand Prix is one of the really cool kind of demo scene type things that they did. But they also had this product called uh, the Wonder Borg, which is a tiny little robot bug that you program with your Wonder Swan. Wow. That, like, could move freely on its own afterwards? Yeah, you'd set up, you can, like, um, it would come with all these kind of sensors and, like, a playmat and stuff. So you could program it to do different things as it interacts with these sensors, like, Huh. dark colors and light colors and stuff it reminds me of the uh, nintendo labo yeah you could make yeah. little, the little bug you know car things that would kind of vibrate around and you could make certain noises or fall over when they you know their sensor sensed something it, it's very like uh this was also kind of the age of like lego robotics mm. if you ever uh participated in any of that that was like the only programming i did in my life was lego robotics when <laughs> i was younger but yeah, it's very much in that same vein. And actually, a version of this was released overseas here in America. It was just for the PC. And I forget if it was still called Wonderborg or not, but we did get like a, a PC version of this over here. 
but not as cool because then it's controlled with your PC and not your Wonderswan. That's way cool. <laughs> yeah, you want that portable. <laughs> and the Wonderswan had some other really interesting like accessories and uh, little things. There was a fishing sonar for the Wonderswan. Um, let me talk about my favorite thing, which is something I just recently got. Uh, it's called Mama Mite. This is a... So are, have you ever heard of the company Tanita? Uh, yeah, I believe so. Yeah, they're, so they're a, they're a healthcare company, but they're kind of... These days, they're, they've been working with Sega a lot, and they have like a Sega Saturn-themed scale, and um, they do some like you know, video game themed stuff because yeah. that's their, their audience, I guess their niche is the intersection of video games and healthcare. <laughs> so uh Tanita made this thing called the Mama Mite. It is a pregnancy tracker for the Wonder Swan. Oh. <laughs> wow. That's not where I thought that was going. <laughs> oh. No. So it's uh it's its own special Wonder Swan crystal unit. It's baby blue. It says Mama Mite on it. it. Has its own like custom little boot screen, splash screen, and startup noise. It comes with this program and a giant scale. And it's a it's for tracking your pregnancy. You step on the scale, it in- interacts with the Wonder Swan. You know, tells you how you're coming along. It's got like exercises on it that you can do if you're uh. I don't know. I, I don't know how any of the actual maternity stuff works, but there's um, there's just a bunch of like pregnancy help stuff on there, and it's it's fascinating that this is a product because I don't know. There, there's nothing else like this. <laughs> so uh, yeah, the Mama Mite is is fascinating. Um, it's in my opinion, it's by far one of the rarest items. Like I take it you don't have one. I did finally get one after five years of looking. Oh. One finally did pop up on Yahoo Auctions, um, and I wow. paid an embarrassing amount of money for it, but it is uh, <laughs> it is the holy grail of my collection. And speaking of holy grails, the other one, I mentioned earlier that you could buy cartridges and flash these uh, Wonder Witch games and programs that you that you create onto actual cartridges. Well, one of the people that did that is Toshio Awai. Um, that's the guy who made Electroplankton. Right. And also made the musical instrument that, I don't know, if you're, if you're a musician, maybe you've heard of it. I hadn't heard of it, but it's called the Tenorion. And it's basically this big square full of arcade buttons. <laughs> um, and you can program each button to make a noise. Oh. Um, so. I think, I feel like I've seen people use it. I feel like Sean Wasabi. The guy on Twitter. Yeah, I was just about to say if you if you've seen Sean Wasabi, he uses I don't know if he uses the Tenorion brand name, but that's exactly it's the exact same type of thing. Well, I I love that. I love. I mean, I can't imagine I could do it very well, but I love <laughs> watching other people. Yeah, yeah, it's a really cool thing. So Toshio, I actually kind of prototyped it on the Wonder Swan. He made a, a Tenorion program for the Wonder Swan, and then he printed 120 cartridges. And he sold them at an art exhibition. So, oh wow! Yeah, it didn't come with a box. It came in a little baggie with a little manual. And yeah, there's 120 of them in the world. So good luck. <laughs> have you ever seen one for sale? I have, I have, and I lost the bid. I uh, want to say, I want to say, I had to bow out around like $1,900 or oof. something like that. Yeah, <laughs> it's uh, it's pretty bad. It's pretty expensive. Yeah. One of the people that owns it and has talked about it is uh, Keita Takahashi, the Katamari creator, which I thought is really interesting. Like, if you Google Tenori on Wonderswan, you'll see a video from Keita Takahashi playing it, <laughs> <laughs> which is great. And then another kind of small interesting thing about the Wonderswan is that it could be programmed to have custom boot screens, for at least for the Wonderswan color and the Swan Crystal. 
they actually had some little events and competitions and stuff where you would like take your Wonderswan to a place, to an event, and then someone would put a cartridge in your Wonderswan and, you know, run the program. And then now every time you boot up your Wonderswan, it would have a new splash screen, like with the huh. a magazine's mascot or something like that, or like a new little uh, startup noise or something like that, which is just, again, it's just such a weird little thing. It's a, it's a cute idea. It kind of reminds me of, you know, when you had to send in your cartridge to get Mew. Right. Yeah, exactly. Put, put it in the machine. <laughs> yeah. So that's kind of, I mean, those are all the things that I like to talk about, about the Wonder Swan. But I've got, you know, go ahead, ask me some questions. I can recommend some games. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. What are, what's your top three favorite games on the Wonder Swan? Ooh, okay. Um, I'm going to go with top three that... That don't star your dog. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go with top three that, that aren't like on Game Boy Advance, because there were plenty of games that okay. came, like, you know, there's Mega Man games that came out on both and Klonoa and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Okay, so my absolute favorite is a game called Rhyme Rider Kara Recon. It's a rhythm platformer. It's made by the same guy who did Vib Ribbon on the PS1, if, if you've played that one. That sounds like that's right up my alley. Yeah, I've played Vib Ribbon. Yeah, it's excellent. You will need to either look up the manual or own a complete copy because it tells you the button direction instructions in the manual and not anywhere in the game. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, like when you encounter this enemy, you have to press this button type thing. Oh, I see. The other one I really, well, the kind of main one that I recommend to everybody is a game called Gunpei, named after Gunpei Okoi. Mm -hmm. It's a puzzle game. There's actually three iterations of it on the Wonder Swan. There's just regular Gunpei. There's Gunpei EX, which is like in color and has some other, some other game modes. And then there's a Panda Gunpei, uh, Tare Panda No Gunpei, which is just panda themed. So <laughs> if you like cute pandas. But that's a great, great puzzle game. And then my other favorite one is another puzzle game called Engacho, which is just a really weird, like, oh gosh, I don't even know how to explain this one. Basically, you have to guide your little dudes to certain places, but each dude will respond in a different way to each button press. So if you press up, you know, this one dude might go up, but this other dude's going to go to the right or something like that if does that make sense i don't know how to yeah yeah <laughs> to so you have to that. figure out the best like way to get them all to where they need to be exactly it sounds like a like like pikmin but they're all fleeing in different directions yeah <laughs> this one actually came out on playstation one in japan as well so it's not a wonder swan exclusive but that is the only way it came out in a portable form so i really like it how much does a, a Wonder Swan go for now? Like, if I wanted to go pick one up, like online on eBay or on Yahoo Auctions in Japan, how much do you think I could snag one for? I would say for the regular model, for the black and white model, you're probably not looking at any more than thirty to thirty-five bucks, wow. which is nice. They're a pretty affordable console. Um, now, the color games are often not backwards compatible. Some of them are, but they're often not backwards compatible. So, if you want to play the entire library you'll want to get either a Wonder Swan Color or a Swan Crystal. Both of those are going to be a little bit more expensive. The colors break really easily. They're not very... Uh. The other ones are, are very good in terms of longevity, but the Wonder Swan Color specifically tends to have issues. Working ones will typically run you like 45 to $55, and then the Swan Crystal is going to probably be about $100 these days. Okay. You know, not, nothing to sneeze at, but it's not crazy. The color and the crystal can play any game in the whole library. Like they're backwards compatible. Everything. Yeah. You'll actually see some 
games that have the Swan Crystal branding, but they do also play on Wonder Swan Color. I don't really know why they did that. I think there's maybe there's updated capabilities in them, you know, like something some features that are exclusive to it, but I can't think of any that actually have that off the top of my head. Hmm. It's pretty much all anime games that say Swan Crystal on them anyways. <laughs> so lots of text-heavy games, lots of RPGs and stuff on the system. So if you do speak Japanese, you should absolutely pick up the system. Um, if you don't, there's tons and tons of puzzle games, good platformers and stuff too. That's like, those are like my two favorite kind of games, honestly. There's also rhythm games on there, which I love. Yeah, it's a, it's a good console for, for that sort of thing. Do you know what kind of total sales there were for all the systems across all? Yeah, um, a little under 4 million units for all three iterations okay. combined. So again, you know, nothing huge, but also wasn't a total flop. 10% mm-hmm. of the market in Japan is not bad. Yeah. I'm pretty sure that's better than like the Neo Geo Pocket did. <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah, I think it is. Yeah. <laughs> I usually like to do a little bit of research on like a topic when, you know, someone's coming in to talk about it, but I thought it was best to just leave myself completely in the dark on this one. And I'm kind of glad because <laughs> I feel like there's a ton of stuff that you told me today that I had no idea about. Yeah. And I did bring some game titles if you wanted to do that real game or not thing that I know you guys do on this podcast sometimes. Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> so you, you tell me the title and I'll tell you if I think it's a real or fake game. All right. So real game or not. Clock Tower. Real game. Yeah. Clock Tower right. did come out on the Wonderswan, which is pretty cool. Crystal Dragon. Real game. Uh, it is a real game, but not on the Wonderswan. <laughs> <laughs> That's cheating. <laughs> oh my I, I gosh. I believe right. a square game that, that's not on the, oh, on the Wonderswan. Okay. Was up B produced Street Dancer? That's so weirdly specific. It's got to be real. <laughs> yeah, it's okay. real, but it's my favorite title. <laughs> was, and it's not, it's not spelled out up. It's was and then like an arrow pointing up. <laughs> was up B. <laughs> Amazing. It's like the artist formerly known as Prince. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Beat Mania. I'm pretty sure that's real. Uh, yeah, Beat Mania is also on the Wonder Song. Okay, I was, was going to say, I feel like I've played yeah. Beat Mania, but maybe not. Maybe I'm thinking of a different beat-related game. Pocket Kitty. Pocket Kitty. Um, Fake. Yeah. All right. You got them all. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Good job. I, I win. Didn't... I win a Wonder Song. Oh, my gosh. You can't have mine. Do you just have the one? No, I have, well, I really only play one of them. Um, mm-hmm. Okay, I normally am not a console hoarder. I'm really not. Um, but the Wonderswan is a cheap enough system, and it came in enough adorable colors that um, <laughs> I've just kind of ended up accumulating quite a few of them. I think I have nine or ten of them at this point, but I pretty much just play my crystal because that's where all the games look the best. So, um, But honestly, I really like the I really like the way the original Wonderswan works for the games that are designed to be in black and white. I mean, it it has eight different shades of gray in there, so it's, you know, more than the Game Boy and it's crisp. Yeah, it's very crisp. It looks it looks really nice and you can, you know, adjust the contrast and all that stuff. So, I like it a lot. I'm kind of kicking myself because this past summer, as I mentioned on every single episode of this podcast, I was in Japan with my wife and I feel like I saw like quite a few wonder swans just you know here and there and like the you know different like book offs and thrift stores and stuff that we visited and now i'm like i should have grabbed like three or four of them yeah it's an easy system to get into for like if you got like a hundred bucks and you just want to try something out new you can Mm -hmm. get you know a black and white wonder swan or even a wonder swan color and a handful of good games Mm -hmm. a lot of the more expensive stuff is getting more expensive 
when I first started collecting Wonderswan, I was like, oh, it'll be a piece of cake to get the full library. <laughs> there'll be there'll be like three really expensive ones. And somewhere along the way, I, I finally like put together my list of everything I'm missing. And I'm like, wow, I'm still missing like 10 games that are over $100. <laughs> I didn't realize that. Oh, no. <laughs> All right, one last question, because um, I don't think it came up, but maybe it did. And that is, what do the cartridges look like for this? Oh, yeah, they're basically just like a long, skinny cartridge, horizontally skinny, not vertically skinny. They're, or, sorry, it is, a, it is long on the horizontal and skinny on the vertical, if that makes sense. <laughs> so the pins are exposed on them, which I don't like. It means that a lot of times you do have to take some rubbing alcohol on a Q-tip and whatever to them um, to clean them up. So is it kind of like a wide switch game? Uh, yeah, kind of. But even the switch has those little, like, you know, the the pins are exposed, but they have that plastic that kind of sticks up mm-hmm. to sort of protect stuff from getting on the actual pins themselves. But the Wonderswan is just pins straight up in the air, just all in a row. It's like if <laughs> it's like you know, if you open a Game Boy cartridge or whatever, um, mm-hmm. and you only covered like the top half of it. Oh, okay. It's not. It's not smart. I don't. <laughs> I don't like that part. Like beautiful feathers coming off of a swan. <laughs> I think that was that was the goal, probably. All right. Well, hey, thanks so much for coming on and telling us about the Wonder Swan today. I had no idea there was so much interesting background on that as far as games, accessories, history, everything. Yeah, it's a totally weird, fascinating system that I feel sorry for the U.S. that we didn't get it. <laughs> so if people want to find you online, where can they find you? So you can follow me on Twitter. I'm at Kels Lewin. That's K-E-L-S-L-E-W-I-N. You can also follow the Video Game History Foundation if you so choose. We're at Game History Org. um, And Pink Gorilla is at Pink Gorilla LLC. That's that's all my things. (laughs) All right. Fair (laughs) enough. Well, thanks so much for coming on today. We appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks for having me. That's all for now. Thanks for listening. Our intro and outro music was crafted by the talented chiptune composer Jamatar. You can find more of his banging beats by searching Jamatar, that's J-A-M-A-T-A-R, on Spotify or visiting Jamatar.com. If you have any feedback on the podcast or want to recommend a topic, feel free to reach out via Twitter at MemCardShow or on our website, MemoryCardShow.com. If you'd like to follow Push and I, we can be found at PushDustIn and at SuperBentendo, respectively. Have you considered supporting Memory Card on Patreon? If not, we hope you will. Currently, we're supported by quite a few awesome people, including Jackson Bertoli, Taylor Bias, Cody Sam, Michael Strickland, Tyler Davis, Courtney Cotton, and Harrison. All of our Patreon info can be found on the support section of our website or on patreon.com memcard. We'll be back soon with some more gaming history goodness, so be sure to subscribe and leave a review if you enjoy the show. See you soon!